Enjoy that. Um, well, church, I am, uh, I'm not Pastor Rick, in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> um, I'm not really much of a uh, preacher. Is, is that my microphone feeding back? Uh, not anymore. All right. <laughs> um, well, let's just get right into it, church. I, um, this is one of my first times uh, being able to preach in front of a congregation, so I figured it would probably benefit me if I just wrote everything down. So I'd like you all to do me a favor, and if I'm not making eye contact or being, like, captivating, just, like, imagine that I am. Like, just imagine, like, oh, wow, like, he's really, you know, looking at us, and my hands are, just picture that for me, please, because I'm probably going to be standing right here just looking at my sheets. <laughs> um, that being said, would you all pray with me as we, as we look into God's Word? Dear Holy and Precious Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this time that you've given us to come. God, we thank you for this wonderful time of worship. We thank you for this time that we get to dive into your word, Father, as we read from from 1 Peter, Father, and as we study what the apostles have commanded us to do, Father. I pray that you would would bless these words, Father, that you would, Lord, that you would speak through me, that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you, Lord my God, and I and I pray that. You just bless this day for each and every one of us, Father, and you convict each and every one of our hearts and tell us what you have to say today. It's in your holy and your precious name that we are so delighted to pray. Amen. Well, church, we are finally reaching the end of the year. Uh, Christmas season is over, and we're now preparing to enter into a new year. Originally, when I was planning this message, I had asked Rick what he normally talks about the Sunday after Christmas, and Rick told me that he usually gives a New Year's theme message. Um, I will admit that I was not a huge fan of the idea of giving a New Year's theme message. Um, I thought it was a little bit corny, but as I sat down to search the scriptures for, for something to speak on, I felt the Lord leading me to scriptures that had to do with that. So here I am now, and I'm giving a New Year's message. Church, I'll admit that I didn't really count on being here to speak today either. Originally, when this Sunday's service was being planned, um, we were at an elder and staff meeting, and Rick had mentioned that he might want to take this Sunday off, the Sunday after Christmas. Christmas season is very busy, it's very hectic, and it takes a huge toll. So, of course, everybody at the meeting was on board with that idea, and the only question was who was going to be taking his place. And so I don't know if, if any of you know this about Rick. This is something that he's done for as long as I've known him. Um, whenever you're in a group setting with Rick and he asks if someone will be willing to pray, he usually has already decided in his mind who he thinks should pray. Um, so he just makes eye contact with them in like complete silence and just looks at them until they cave in and pray. Uh, so at this meeting, Rick... I mean, at least from my perception, he was, he was doing that to me, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> but I decided that I was not going to cave, um, and I didn't. And actually, it was um, Jared Hill, one of our elders, who said that he would speak today, and I forget for what reason, but um, he ended up not being able to speak today. But either way, um, after, Je- after Jared offered, um, I was like, okay, I'm good. I don't have to speak. So I thought that it would maybe be a good idea to throw it out there that if Jared was unable to speak, that I would. Um, and that pretty much brings us to now. Jared wasn't able to speak, so here I am. And the moral of the story is that you should never volunteer to do something just because somebody else already volunteered and you're confident that you won't have to do it. 
<laughs> All that being said, I'm, I'm so grateful to be here today, church. And I do truly feel that the Lord has laid something on my heart to share with you. So if you would please uh, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you do not have your Bibles with you here today, then we'll have the passages on the slides for you. As I was planning this message, I was very, very nervous and I lacked confidence in what I wanted to talk about. I'm still very nervous and lack confidence in what I want to talk about. But I kept thinking to myself, what business does some 19-year-old kid have preaching to a whole congregation? So I just want you to know if you're here today and you saw me walk on stage and thought, what business does some 19-year-old kid have preaching to a congregation? Just know that you're not alone in that. Um, I thought that too. <laughs> I do not consider myself much of a, a preacher or a speaker. I, you all see me lead worship on Sundays and I'm fine with that. I've never been nervous to lead worship, but speaking is a whole, whole different ballgame. But these scriptures that we're going to be going over in 1 Peter I truly felt God speaking to me, and as I was reading, I, I couldn't find anything that I wanted to speak on, and, and so I just decided to read through all sorts of books in the New Testament, and I ended up settling, settling on these scriptures. So I decided that as we do this, um, as we read through this, you know, Rick tends to have topics that he talks through and uses scripture to go with that. I don't necessarily talk like that. That's not necessarily how my mind works. So we're going to be just going through verse by verse um, because I believe that the scriptures that we are reading are so powerful that they'll speak for themselves and we know that his word does not return void. So if you'll follow along with me, we're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and I'll be reading out of the ESV version. Peter writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. As we read this scripture, I'm reminded in verse three of the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, Peter, in this passage we just read, he says that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. Very similar to that, Jesus tells us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, where thieves break in and steal and moth and rust destroy. Rather, he calls us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, because Jesus tells us that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. So if we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, it is protected by the Lord our God. No age or hurt or trial or anything can take that treasure away from us. All right, let's continue on into the next few verses. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. I love this portion so much. Peter tells us that we are grieved by various trials so that our faith can be tested and be found genuine. And all of this is to result in the praise and glory of the Lord and us with him. This scripture paints such a beautiful picture for us. When gold is refined, it's heated tremendously so that it might be found pure at the end of the process. 
As it's heated, all of the impurities in the gold are burned away, leaving only what is true. I'm sure that many of you have heard that metaphor before. I've heard it many times, and it can be found throughout Scripture. But it's such an amazing picture. Church, as we go through trials and temptations, perseverance is produced within us. And we are able to count it as joy and praise the Lord within it. Because we know that our victory has already been won in that. I feel as though oftentimes we get stuck. We live in a fallen world and sometimes the weight of that is beyond crippling. One thing that I have learned in my own life over the course of my struggles with with depression and mental illness is that it is so much easier to fight and to remain strong through trials when we feel like there's a purpose for our struggling. But honestly, sometimes there isn't this easily perceived divine purpose for our sufferings. We live in a fallen world and man is inherently selfish and evil and sometimes that can cause so much pain. But God is always teaching us and we may learn something from that. But sometimes we learn something from the pain and after a while we're like, okay, Lord, I feel like you've taught me what I need to know from this pain. Thank you. I'm ready for this to be over. Let's, let's wrap it up. I'm good. But what if it still continues on after that? What if you feel like you've remained strong and gained the wisdom you can from this? You feel like you've gained the purpose of this, but it still continues. What then? Sometimes the pain of sin in our fallen world is the reason in and of itself. But we can also remain confident in the knowledge that the Lord is constantly putting us through trials and refining us. And not only will these trials glorify God, but we will also be glorified with him in the beloved when Christ returns. And how beautiful is that, church, that we might go through hardships and bring glory and honor to God through our refinement. That alone makes the hardships and the fire of it all worth enduring. That we might be handed over to death in our flesh, just as 2 Corinthians says, so that the life of Christ might abide in our bodies. And how wonderful is it that the life of Christ within us brings glory unto God, which comes from the death of our flesh. I think that paints such a beautiful picture, church, that that as we go through these trials, not only is God offering us salvation upon his return, but because we are found in Christ, as we'll talk about later on, we are glorified with him. And that is such a wonderful display of his grace. Let's look back at at verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though we do not see him, we love him. We believe and rejoice with joy. Take a moment to think on that church. The two key parts of this passage are the love and the trust that we hold. Though we, not, though we cannot physically see God, we love him and we believe in him and therefore we trust in him. Right here, this glory that Peter is speaking of is joy in the hope that we hold that is lasting throughout everything. Church, it is the hope of a true believer in Christ. And not just the hope of eternity and salvation, but the hope that glory will be brought upon us if we persevere to the end through the power of the Holy Spirit alone. 
On that day when Jesus returns, our refinement has been completed and the glory and honor will be brought upon us through Christ Jesus. How could we ever deserve this? A group of sinners being glorified with God in the end. This is such a fabulous display of his endless mercy and grace. And this is a wonderful example of his grace. Not only does God show us mercy by sparing us from damnation and separation from him, but he lavishes grace upon us by giving us joy and hope and eventual glory that we could have never deserved. And this glory will be completed at his return and is the reason for the joy and the hope that we hold on to, church. So with what we've read so far in 1 Peter, he's talking about our salvation, our trials, and glory. Peter is writing this for the advance of the gospel, teaching people what to do with the new faith that they have been found in. And now as we keep reading, we come to what God is calling us to, re- to do as a result of our salvation. Now church, as we reach the end of the year, we're sort of in this strange limbo period right now. Um, it's, it's strange because in the month of December, no matter what your beliefs are about when you should put a tree up, it seems as though everybody is celebrating Christmas in advance. Um, and New Year's is kind of different. There's really no real way to celebrate New Year's in advance. And it seems as though people like to celebrate New Year's in advance by complaining about how their year went um, and talking about how next year can be different. So we make commitments and we make resolutions in order to make next year better. It's the season where gym memberships skyrocket and meal plans are advertised everywhere uh, because it seems as though everyone is focused only on their successes and failures over the past year. And so we make resolutions in the hopes that it will better our lives. But is that what it's all about? Is that what life is? Every year we say the same thing. This year is going to be different. And somehow at the end of the year, we find ourselves still reflecting on our year and thinking about what we could have done differently. We're stuck in this cycle where every single year we're trying to change things and we don't change things and we're disappointed at the end of the year so we try it all over again, keeping ourselves as the focus year after year. That is not what life is about and that is not what we were made for. We aren't made to repeat this process every year. Church, we've been given a salvation. We've been given a life, and the life that we have been given is not for our own glory and benefit. We have been given this life for the glory and the honor of our rescuer and not for ourselves. Let's let's go back into 1 Peter and continue on. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also shall be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, when I was, when I was writing this, initially I wanted to go on and talk about how we live in an age where everyone is so concerned with their own well-being and their own lives, first and foremost. But the fact of the matter is that we don't live in an age of that. We live in a world of that. And the world has been full of that since the fall of man. It has been full of self-concern and self-focus. When Christ called us, he wasn't calling us to believe and therefore be saved. He wasn't calling us 
to make our lives as best as they can possibly be for us. Our life is not for us. Often we only hear about believing. We call ourselves believers, but we aren't called to just be believers. We're called to be followers of Christ. We're called to make him the Lord of our life and give everything over to him. Believing is only half of it. And how is it that we're to do that? That is what Peter is saying right here. He's saying that as a result of you being called by God and adopted into an eternal inheritance, your life no longer belongs to you. Your aim in life can no longer solely be to do what benefits you. Church, we're not just put on this earth and given this salvation to say thank you and then sit idly by until his return. We're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not only believing, but making Jesus our Lord and committing our every single moment to him. Just as 1 Corinthians says, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Moving over now to the, to the book of Colossians chapter three, it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I love that, that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That life that is hidden with Christ and God is not our old life. It's not the life of our flesh because just as scripture states, we've died to our flesh And now our life is found in Christ. Our new life is found in Christ. Our lives do not belong to us. So if we have died and we have died to our old ways and died to our flesh. And we need to be able to see beyond that church. To look forward not only to our salvation but to the glory that comes with the return of Christ. Church, the life that he is talking about that is with Christ is the life that we find within Christ. It's the life that we've come into because we have chosen to make him our Lord, because we follow him, not just because we believe. Believing, as I said, church, is only half of it. In the book of Matthew says, Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Those people believed in God. They did works in his name, but they did not make him Lord. And Jesus says, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If we're to find our new life in Christ, we are called to give everything over to him and to do what this scripture is talking about. If you were to look at a top 10 New Year's resolution list online, which I did, um, I promise you that nearly every resolution has to do with how we can benefit ourselves. Um, So if you look on the slide, um, here's a list of our top 10 most common New Year's resolutions. And I looked through a couple lists. They all pretty much said the same things. Number one is to exercise more. That's not a bad thing. Number two is to lose weight. Three get organized. Four, learn a new skill or a new hobby. Five, this is my favorite one. It says live life to the fullest. I don't really know quite what that entails. Um, It's a very general thing. I 
I'd like to live life to the fullest this year. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if you wake up and just tell yourself that, but that's a common thing that people do, I suppose. Um, Number six is to save money and spend less money. Number seven, quit smoking. Eight, spend more time with family and friends. Nine, travel more. And ten, read more. On the surface, these are all great things. There's nothing wrong with any of this. But if you look closely at this list, there, there appears a common theme. Nearly every one of these has to do with our own success. And if we live year to year focused on our own success first, then we are not doing what we're called to do as believers. We're not putting Christ first. Colossians says that as a result of our faith, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And later on in verse 14, he says, and above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And finally, towards the end of the passage, it says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. That passage, I love how it starts off, it tells us to be compassionate, to have kindness, to have humility, meekness, patience. And then it continues on and it takes it a step further and it says, if you want to have all these things, then have love. It binds this all together in in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ dwell within you. And then towards the end, it takes it a final step and it says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So instead of New Year's resolutions focused on our own well-being first and foremost. I would propose, and I, I would say that the, the, the Bible proposes that we, we do something else. Why don't we do what this passage called us to do? And if you look on the slide up there, I made a list of, of resolutions, and this is a little bit cheesy, but I figured I'd, I'd sum it up for us. Number one, let's show compassion. Number two, let's show kindness. Three, let's be humble. Four, have meekness. Five, have patience. Six, let's love as God has called us to love. Seven, let the peace of Christ dwell within us. And number eight, perhaps the most important one is to let the word of God dwell within us. Church, if we don't have the word of God dwelling within us, if we are not getting our daily bread, if we are not waking up with God on our minds and on our hearts, we're not going to do these things. We're going to, we're going to try. We're going to try to do it by our own strength, but if we don't keep ourselves in check by reading God's word, we are not going to do these things. Let's not make this next year about us. Above all things, we're called to put on love because it will result And us honoring all of these things. If we love the Lord, we will read his word. We will honor him. Instead of making commitments to go to the gym or to eat healthier, you can still do those things. That's fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. 
I could probably use some of that in my life. But let's not forget that this salvation that we've been given is not just something that we take and with it go on our merry way. This salvation wasn't just given to us to, like I said, just sit idly by. We were given this so that we could glorify God with it, so that we could honor him and someday through his grace and through his mercy be honored with God when Christ returns. As we are found in Christ, our new lives, as scripture says, is found with Christ hidden away and when he returns, we'll be glorified with him. It is such a wonderful display of his grace. Church, there's a difference between God's mercy and God's grace. In God's mercy, he spared us from separation. And that is a wonderful thing. And on the other side of it, with God's grace, we will be glorified with him. In his mercy, he spares us from what we do deserve. And in his grace, he gives us what we do not deserve and what we could never deserve. And we're tested by fire. If our faith is true and we honor these things to the best that we can, and we're not called to be perfect. I mean, we are called to be perfect. Scripture does say, be perfect as I am perfect, but that's where God's grace comes in. So church, we are going to fall short. We're going to fail. But Christ will not only bring us salvation, we will be glorified in Christ. Let's pray with one another.